Look at this small, intimate gathering we have here tonight. If you guys um, would do me a favor, I don't know why this is coming to mind right now. Can everybody move up like a row or two? Like, listen to me. We do this thing every week, every Sunday night, where it's like we're doing, uh, somebody comes up, they give the monologue. We do this like song and dance. We sing some things, we do some things, and bada boom, bada boom. This is like a group meeting of sorts, okay? This is like, let's wake up and let's talk about what is real. Let's get into the nitty gritty together. I, I, don't, I have no desire to do monologue at you. Obviously, that is what I have prepared for this morning. Um, but um, I just want us to at least feel a little bit closer when it's these smaller nights. I think most people are in the streets celebrating the Vikings' victory today, outside of the Lawsons. I don't know if they're in the room right now. Sorry about that. Um, but listen, uh, before we say anything else in this message tonight, my name is Matt Moberg. I'm grateful that you are here. The number one thing that we want you to walk out of this room with, regardless of whether or not there's anything helpful inside of the message, is that we want you to know that who you are is more important than what you do, even if what you do gets more attention than who you are. Oh, it becomes like cliche over time, but it's important. I, I was in a conversation with somebody who's a uh, business owner in L.A. this past week, and he was saying, you know what, most of the guys that I work with, these men who are running these Fortune 500 companies, he said, they consistently feel like they are one business deal away from feeling sufficient about their own story. Feeling like they have enough enoughness, you know, like a sense of place in this world, a sense of um, validity of sorts. And we want you to know that you have that. You're not one business deal away. You live from favor, from blessing, from love, not for favor, for blessing, for love. And there's a wide difference between the two. And if you understand that, it shapes drastically how you, sh how you live your story. And so let me say it one more time. Who you are is more important than what you do, even if what you do gets more attention than who you are. Now, let me tell you about something that I did last month. I, um, what's the month? It's September still, right? Yep, August. Early August, caught an email from the good folk over at Instagram. They said, hey, Matt. We see what you are doing on your platform, and we like it, and um, we'd like for you to start making some reels, and um, matter of fact, we like it so much, we want to encourage you by giving some financial incentive, we'll pay you if you do some reels. And so I figured, well, you know, contrary to public opinion, like pastors don't roll in the dough. <laughs> not, I mean, I don't want to get this like expensive sweatshirt, like giving you the wrong idea here, okay? <laughs> Um, I said, yeah, sure, okay, I could, I could put out a reel every now and then if that's what it takes. And um, perhaps naively in hindsight, I put up my first reel on August 19th, and it was, my hands were tied because our ring camera on our front step, it, it like captured pure comedic gold. And so let me just show you and, and stop with the preface. No, 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 okay, okay. So there is audio involved. It didn't play there, but what the audio was is that Wyatt, my eldest, who's on the step, and Sawyer, my youngest, who's right there and off the step, my eldest, he pushes him, and Sawyer responds like he's about to clock him, and Wyatt says, I'm sorry, it was an accident. It was not an accident. You just shoved your brother over. Wyatt bursts through the front door. He comes screaming at us saying, like, it was an accident. It wasn't a problem. And so naturally, my, my thing when I put it up there was I just framed it. I, I said, like, is it an accident or is it a case of an assault? Like, which one do we have to deal with here? Now, for those who know me, like, 
that is like, you know, I'm not serious. I'm not thinking about, I'm not like at the, the um, Molly, where would I be? City Hall, thinking about pressing charges against my eldest child for a case of assault on my front step. But the problem is that quickly overnight, with the 409,000 people and 514 that ended up engaging with this video, most of them didn't know me. Like very few. And the ones who did kind of suspected that at some point I'd be at court with my kids. Why not be it now? And so over time, like, we had all these weird messages, comments coming my way. Case in point, like this one right here. Somebody said to me, brother's playing, come on, serious. I think he means get serious, to which I said, the eldest is now in jail. On his behalf, we all wish you had made your point earlier. <laughs> Somebody else said, assault, tell me this is a joke. It's been upgraded to attempted murder. I appreciate you seeing the severity of this violence and realizing how ridiculous dubbing this as a mere assault really was. I was having fun with that out of the gates, you know, when it was just, and then somebody, there was an a online theologian who said, um, quoted Proverbs and said that I should use the rod of discipline, and I gave a hard pass to that, <laughs> to which they said, you will reap the follies then, and I said, don't tempt me with a good time, Sue, <laughs> to which she made the point to say, <laughs> no wonder you have raised violent children. I'm like, oh, really? <laughs> Sue, that's quite the leap. <laughs> the one that I did appreciate, though, was somebody who was blaming this on Obama and Biden. <laughs> Listen, I don't know what the rationale or reasoning for doing so was, but it took me out of the crosshairs, so I applauded them all the same. I was like, thank you for finally seeing truth for what it is. <laughs> Eventually, as I was kind of like having fun out of the gates with these different sorts of like back and forth banter, it did get weird. You know, like I caught a couple of messages like this one. You guys have got to be the most, and I edited out that word because it's offensive. I've seen in this Godforsaken app, I generally hope someone assaults you in the street. I caught four different, like, death messages. Just like, I hope, I hope you, you get in a car accident today. I hope, like, somehow you, whatever the thing might be. They started, like, doing a deep dive, and they recognized I'm in recovery, and they said, I hope you start to drink again and, and like, get behind the wheel as soon as possible. It got weird very, very quick. Am I right? Yeah, that's very, very intense, and it happened very, very quick. And so this thing that started off as like innocent, whatever, let's do it. I'll take a couple hundred bucks if you're offering Instagram. All of a sudden became this annoying, nagging thing that was like every day there was new people. And for whatever reason, and I should be able to have a better answer than I do right now, but I started to feel like I need to message these people back and explain I'm not what you think I am. Like, I'm really not like doing this to to like actually, I'm not actually posing the question, should I charge my son with assault on that one? That's not what I'm doing right now. But like with every response I would have, um, it, would, uh, it would be a new message that would come in. Honestly, the most annoying part of the whole process for me was that my phone was like dying daily because I was too lazy to turn off the notifications. Why am I bringing this up? That's a very good question. Part of it is like we're in this series right now, do I stay or do I go, which I am so embarrassed. Bill Wright, don't say anything. In my mind, out of the gates without doing just a simple, basic Google search, I thought that was the Clash song. Turns out it's should I stay or should I go? And so I know nothing about rock history. I'm embarrassed. I'm sorry, Bill. I don't know where that came from. But when I was thinking about this question of do I stay Christian or not, I started thinking about this weird Instagram experience and thinking about that space where I'm feeling exhausted, like my battery is being drained, like everybody who asks, is this what you're actually about? And I have to say, no, 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 I'm not like a parent like those. Raise your hand if you are in this room and you have had somebody say, like, are you a Christian? And you say, yes. 
but not like Christian Christian, though. Do you know what I'm saying right now? Like, you've come to that crossroads in your life where you've been like, um, I do love Jesus. I can see why you're raising your eyebrows. I can see why you're feeling concerned. I can see why you would see me through a paradigm of which I am a problem for your story, an obstacle to the common good. I'm a Christian, and I'm so tired of telling people I'm not like that kind of Christianity, though, which is becoming louder and louder, more the majority, more the mainstream. It's the louder I have to get with my rebuttal saying I'm not like that. Is anybody else, when we ask this question, do I stay or do I go, it's not some theoretical abstract thing that we are asking. We're actually asking, like, what is the play here? Debbie's not here right now. She's out of town. And so I added a word. Don't tell her. She won't notice. I added now to it. That wasn't the pre, like, you know, agreed upon terms of engagement for the series. But it does feel like there's a special impetus on the moment that we are in that I wanted to underscore the word now, in this moment right now. I mean, since the beginning of the church, there's always been doubts around, like, are we just making things up? Are we creating these beautiful stained glass windows of stories that are not rooted in reality? Like, what are we actually doing here? But it's different right now because it's not just about doubts, it's about destruction that is happening in the name of the Son of Love. How is it that this religion, this faith that we are showing up here tonight, and honestly, less and less people are showing up for, case in point being tonight. Less and less people want to show up at church. And it's not because they're suddenly like, well, I just don't want to be a part of like, it's like they, almost a lot of them are in fed, fidelity to Christ or being in unfaithful to Christianity. <laughs> like that is what it is asked of them because of where we are in the now of this moment. But there is a real weight in the moment that we are in that asks us to be sober-minded, to sit up straight, to ask questions that for a long time we've sidestepped, and to take seriously this weight of what does it look like to actually practice the ways of Jesus, to actually embody and express the fruits of the Spirit, gentleness, patience, self-control, kindness, what does it look like to live into that story in this season of our lives right now? How do we go about it? Who among us hasn't asked that question? For me, I remember um, this past spring when, you know, growing up as a, as a good Baptist boy, um, when the news came out this past spring that the Southern Baptist Convention was releasing this guidepost report that was kind of naming all of the sexual violence that has happened inside of the organization and realizing how explosive it was. It was a moment for me where I really did get pushed to say like, what does this mean for me? Like, because it's a smaller room and you guys won't tell anybody else in the community, right? We're good? There was times where I asked Lauren like, by being a pastor of a church, even if it's a church like ours, am I, am I complicit in something that is toxic to the world around us? Am I staying Christian only because of um, a paycheck, because it's what I've always known, because it's what I grew, it's my native tongue. When the um, report came out in the spring, there was a man named Russell Moore who was the leader of the Ethics Committee of the Southern Baptist Convention, which is more or less like the public voice of the, um, the group, which is this massive group, one of the largest expressions of evangelical America today. 
And he started to get the inside look at what was happening inside of the church, this big C church umbrella that has covered over all these different allegations and accusations that have piled up over time. And he said, it is far worse than you could ever imagine. (laughs) Just wait till this report comes out. Eventually, when he started to speak out about it, he got pushed back enough where he ended up resigning, saying, like, I'm not allowed to even be in this space and name what's true even if it's in the company of people who are professing to be amongst the truth, the life, the way. Russell Moore, he ends up writing this um, scathing but powerful, dare I say prophetic, uh, essay for Christianity Today where he says, about the Southern Baptist Convention, which please don't limit it to the Southern Baptist Convention, this is an epidemic in the Christian faith, The investigation uncovers a reality far more evil and systemic than I imagined it could be. This is the guy who's the front runner of the SBC, somebody who was in the know on all things going on. This is something that many of us have glossed over, especially those of us at the table who do not claim and not, you know, we're non-denominational. We don't really have a denominational home. Far worse than I thought it could be. When I read the back and forth between some of these presidents, high-ranking staff and lawyers, I cannot help but wonder what else this can be called but a criminal conspiracy. It shook me, personally. Being in a lot of different theological conversations with leaders across the country, this, this, these words from the voice of the Southern Baptist Convention, it shook me. He goes on to say this in the next part of his uh, essay. I only know firsthand the rage of one who, sun- who wonders while reading what happened on the seventh floor of that Southern Baptist building, how many children were raped, how many people were assaulted, how many screams were silenced, while we boasted that no one could reach the world for Jesus like we could. Sometimes we read the Gospels and we read the story of Jesus, we can kind of gloss over. Um, It can become like this obligatory dietary thing that we do habitually. We take in the words and we somehow believe that those seeds are going in, they blossom up beautiful things throughout us. And we miss like the pathos of different moments. There's this moment in Matthew 23 uh, where Jesus steps on the scene and he really lets his hair down. He, he, he is not like the pleasant dancing with lambs telling you that you're beautiful Jesus in this moment. He starts to let out his rage at religious institutions that prop up as cover systems for violent activity. In the midst of him screaming at the religious elites of the day, the pastors, the priests, and everyone in between, the ones who are upholding the system at hand, he ends up saying this one thing, those people that you think that you are trying to fix out there, look at you. Honestly, when I say that now, I'm really, Jesus is inviting people to stand in front of a mirror and do a sober assessment of who they actually are and where they're at in their story. He says, if you go in front of the mirror, think about all the things that you've done. You've gone across the world to create converts out of people that you do not know, trying to fix problems that you are not actually aware of and not called or equipped to actually fix. You're doing all of this work, and what's the result? Jesus names it. Jesus says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across the sea and land to make a single proselyte, and when he becomes a proselyte, You make him twice the kid of hell as you are right now. Man, we remember a lot of Jesus' quotes. We don't remember that one. And yet we are living in the midst of the fruits of it. I know this is heavy. I know this is like angsty in some ways. 
But honestly, when I think about the future of the church, I think there are going to be two different kinds of churches. There are going to be those churches that deny the historical realities of the church and the harm that's been done inside of it. The colonialism, the white supremacy, the homophobia, the transphobia, the Native American genocide. You could go on and on with the list. The patriarchy, top to bottom, again and again. There are going to be churches who say, like, listen, like, God is great, God is good. We're not talking about that. Please leave if you need to. And there's going to be churches who say, like, this is real. This is happening. It might piss you off when you look in the mirror, but you need to look all the same. Lest you get to this point in your story where you're so lost that you don't even recognize that you traveled across the Atlantic Ocean to grab somebody and tell them about Jesus, and at the end of the day, you made them twice as bad as you are right now. And you have the audacity to call it good news. There is so much happening within Christianity today, especially in the Western variety, that has the audacity to call it good news. I was listening this past weekend on the news. There's a pastor on, and they were talking about some of the shootings inside of our city, the city that I love, and a city that I think is doing beautiful things. And the pastor surmised it, basically, or summarized the problem by saying, blah, 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 blah. We stopped teaching Christianity and God in our schools, and that's why we are right now. We stopped teaching Christianity in the churches. That's the real problem. We stopped actually equipping our churches to understand that Jesus was the the lamb who was slaughtered by religious lions, the one who insisted on love at the cost of all things, who said there is a better way than the empire's narrative, that they said there is a different drum that you can actually march to. That's what we stopped talking about. They made the hallmarks of Christianity the fruits of the Spirit. They made the hallmarks of compassion, mercy, forgiveness, joy, community, koinonia. That's what the church is. It's not power over. You don't need somebody to be down in order for you to be up. You don't need to conquer anybody. You are called to be good news. And if you look outside right now, which is where I spend most of my time. Most of my time I don't spend with a lot of Christians. Most of my time is spent with people going like, how the hell are you actually a Christian? Because you talk about good news. You say that you care. But there's nothing inside of your institution that would lead me to believe that I can take you seriously. And so what is the play? Like I said, last spring when that report came out, it was just like a tipping point for me where I've been straddling that fence of like, how do I, what does it look like to pledge allegiance to a Christian tradition? What does it look like to take root inside of the story that I had inherited and passed on to my kids, and it pushed me to consider, do I stay or do I go? Are my only options leaving defiantly or staying compliantly, or is there a better way in between? For me, I got pragmatic because this is the way my mind works, and I started thinking about Christianity as a whole. I started thinking about Christianity in the West, and one of the questions that first cropped up for me that is reinforced by Brian McLaren in his book, Do I Stay Christian?, which is a book that I want to strongly recommend for everybody in this room, is the idea that, like, I could leave Christianity, but that doesn't necessarily mean that Christianity leaves me. We grew up in the West. It's on our dollar bills. It's in our Pledge of Allegiance. Christian, Christian assumptions are rooted in our beliefs. I should say Christian beliefs are rooted in our assumptions. The way that we see the world is largely shaped. And so you might see yourself as emancipated from Christian belief, as no longer part of that system that you now despise or think you're beyond. But it still is underrooting and undergirding much of what you see and how you think about the world around you. So there's that part right there that tripped me up, going like, what, in the West, where I live right now, which is the only place I'm going to live right now, 
I can't just leave Christianity. And if I did, I would do it under the guise of thinking that I'm trying to be good news for the world around me. How do I be good news for my neighbor and live into a denial that I can leave that which I must actually live with? The problem got complicated when I started thinking on a bigger scale. Thinking about how when you look at the world population, when it comes to Christian and religious uh, demographics as a whole, Christians make up 31.2% of the world population. That comes to 2.3 billion people, give or take a few. It's the largest religion, and when you think about not just what the numbers are, but also where those numbers are, it gets even more complicated. Because even a cursory glance at that right there ought to identify for you that have some kind of geopolitical awareness that Christianity is not only the largest religion in the world, it also is the wealthiest. It also has the most weapons. And so you have this religion here that has done so much harm and so much good, both and. You have this religion that is doing so much harm and so much good, and they are the biggest and they are the wealthiest. And if you think that you can be good news and walk away from having a voice inside of that religion, I beg you to change your mind. The only way that this story gets stewarded for something that is actually positive in the world is if there is somebody who says the current trajectory is negative. Somebody that says, like, how things are right now is not how things can actually be. Listen to me right now when I say that the table as a whole and myself as a pastor, I know this personally, but I also know it for us collectively. If we were to say, nope, I'm going to go. I'm done throwing the towel. And that's a legitimate thing for a lot of different people. I want to make that perfectly clear. I want to honor that path. For the sake of your sanity and safety, you left the church, left the Christian fold. I get that. Out of fidelity for Christ, you, you had to be, unf- you had to leave. Um, but if we were to shut all things down, myself and us, that would be such a profound and good answer to so many misguided prayers that have come from people who are running this machine right now. So many people who want to see those who are on the fringes, those who are taking this corner, who are asking us to be better than we are right now, they would love nothing more than for the wrinkles to be gone and the machine to carry forth. And if you listen with your ear to the ground and your eyes open wide, the trajectory as the wealthiest, the biggest, and the most weapons religion, it is not going in a positive direction. And so where will the creative resistance come from? What will it look like for any group of people to say no? You might say, like, well, it's a, it's a losing battle, Rachel, so what's the point anyways, right? I mean, there's more of them than there is of us, even though we are kind of collectively all us. Our faith is founded upon a losing battle. <laughs> Do you ever think about that? I watched you guys in tears last night, Netflix. If you haven't done so, here's your homework for the week, Father Stu. Show of hands, anybody seen that movie? All right, last night, Phil, just you and I. I love you. <laughs> Don't be bashful about that, by the way. <laughs> I wept last night because it is a losing battle. His one, he said, like, I, he goes through suffering that we will, most of us will never know, pain, um, loss, all of the above. And he says, this is the path forward. Weakness actually is the way. So might it be a losing battle? Yeah, it might be. But what I do know is this, 
is that this moment that we are in and why I added the word now to our sermon series title is because in all the other moments throughout our church and our tradition's history, at these moments where we've looked at the big C church and we've recognized it is time for you to grow extinct, that has simultaneously become the time for the church to actually evolve. Case in point, you go to the fourth century and you think about Constantine offering the church, this persecuted minority. He says to the bishops of that church, he says, listen, if you want protection and some kind of profits, get in bed with the empire and the church bites hard. The church gets in bed with the empire. A lot of people in that church right there would have said, the hypocrisy, the idiot, it's ridiculous. Get me out of here. But instead, there was a group of spiritual heroes, the desert parents, fathers and mothers, who took out into the wild to discover, like, what does it look like to be a monastic community that is anti-imperial in its ways, that it preserves its truth of its tradition? You go to the 11th century. You think about how at that time there were all these criminally corrupt church leaders who were sending all kinds of Christian soldiers into the Holy Land to do unholy things to Muslims, killing Muslims in the name of the one who refused to kill anybody. Two years after the first crusade was sent out, this woman right here, Hildegard of Bingen, was born. And she lived 80 years of her life dreaming up what it would look like to not just embody a different way of being a Christian, but expressing it in our daily habitual ways. Years after she dies, another man is born, a young Italian man who is born with this sense that he needs to rebuild the church amidst these crusades. He grows up, he goes to schools with these crusaders, he goes, he sees his friends going into the Holy Land, he ends up following them. Young St. Francis follows his friends into the Holy Land where they are killing Muslims. He instead goes into the tent of the Sultan on the other side and says, can we make peace? Can we find a way beyond the violence? You go forward and you think about the Spanish Inquisition and voices like Meister Eckhart's who says that Listen, when I survey the land of the church and I see where we are at right now, God is at home. It's we who have gone out for a walk. On and on and on. Every century there are different prophets and voices that rise up. I've, I've written down literally about 30 different names and we're running out of time. I think about Harriet Tubman. I think about Dr. King. I think about Dorothy Day. I think about Oscar Romero. I think about real-time people in this room right now who are doing beautiful and courageous things, saying, like, yes, it's dark. Yes, it's ugly. Yes, it's gross. Yes, things should grow extinct. But now is the right time for things to evolve. Now is the time when we actually lean in. Even though when we look at the land, everything around us says we ought to get out as soon as possible. Think about things like Doug Padgett, who came through a few months ago, who's advocating for all Christians, the least likely group, tragically, to see immigrants as human beings, saying, like, how Image of God, child of God, brother, sister of yours, look again. Think about people like Ariel Grant, who is starting this nonprofit organization, Render Free, for black and brown women to experience care and healing in their own private and cared for space. Holy work. Think about dads who are tucking their kids in at night, and they're saying to their sons that, you can tell me how you actually feel. You're safe enough to let all of you be seen. You don't need to beat anybody to be somebody. I think about friends who are standing in each other's corners, unequivocally offering their support. I guess what I'm trying to say is, if we get to the end of the service, is that I think about how bad often 
things can be when we look at the land of Christianity, but I also see the beauty, and I don't want to walk out on that yet. This is how it works. If we want to be people who are of good news, not just the religious variety, strip that away, but you want to live a life that actually added something to the common good, something beautiful, something that was inspiring, encouraging, equipping, that made your neighbor better. If you want to add to that story, counter the bad one with a good one. You could see the cold concrete that Christianity has paved over these wild grasslands and you could walk out on top of it or you could lean in and water it and watch the roses come up. You could see something beautiful spring up in the midst of barren lands. That's the story of Moses, Amos, Isaiah. That's the story of Jesus. That, that should be our story. Jesus, as we think about do I stay or do I go, God, we're still inspired by you, Lord. The idea of selfless love in a selfish world, the idea of having convictions in a land that banks only on conveniences, the idea of believing in love all the way to a cross where you get to that point with the few breaths that you have left in your body, you say, forgive my killers. They don't really know what they're doing. They got swept up in a system that is ugly. I still find that compelling. Let it be not something that we just bark about, but actually be about God. Embodying a new way where two or three are gathered, the mustard seeds. It might be small, insignificant in the eyes of the empire, but not your eyes. In Jesus' name we all pray. Amen. The way forward is weakness. That one's going to stick with me for a while, Matt. Um, I wonder if Jesus' friends knew <laughs> that the way forward was weakness when they were gathered with him around the table in, in the upper room celebrating the Lord's Supper. We're called the table, and that's because we think that that moment... Um, is something that can shape us. We think that it's something that's worth hanging on to. I'm going to spill this. I'm not going to bring it forward. Okay. But communion is, is so important to our community that we do it every single week. And this is a moment where you can reroute yourself in the story of someone who accepted weakness and said that this is actually the way. This is how my father's kingdom will be built. It's through people who are willing to be weak. It's through a Christ who sat at a table with all of his friends, including the one who was about to betray him, and he knew it. How many tables do I set in my own life that include my enemies? Not very many. So this is a moment for all of us to uh, remember what is worth sticking around for. And I think it's the story of a Christ who says, everybody is welcome at this table. Everyone, no exceptions. So that's what we're here to do in this moment. We're going to remember that by celebrating the Lord's Supper. And we remember that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he gathered with those friends and enemies. And he took bread and he gave thanks to his father and he broke it and he said, this is my body and it's been broken for you. And in the same way, he took wine and he poured it into the cup and he said, this is my blood of the new covenant. I am doing something new. Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, remember me 
So that's our way. This evening, we're going to take communion together. Um, if you are not quite feeling ready to take communion up front and in person, we will have some prepackaged elements for you to take back to your spot. But otherwise, if you're feeling ready, we'll form one line, you come to the front. We've got all gluten-free elements tonight. You'll take a piece of bread, you'll dip it into the cup, and you'll hear those words, the body of Christ broken for you and the blood of Christ shed for you. Will you stand with me? And together we're going to say the prayer that Jesus taught his friends to say. Praying, our God, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, 